This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh, and with me today is my co-host, Pastor Brandon Starnes, and we want to welcome you here today for episode three, and the title is Prerequisites of Joy. Let's talk about some prerequisites of our joy today, Pastor. Where can we start? You know, there's a lot of things in life, I think particularly of furniture. You've got a box of furniture. It just doesn't come in one piece. You've got to put some of that stuff together. You've got to assemble it. You've got to have all the pieces for it to turn in right. Joy is like that in one respect. We can speak as we have in the last couple of weeks about it being salvation, about it coming as a gift of Jesus Christ, and that is absolutely true. But it comes from believing the right gospel as well. Gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the prerequisite to having joy. Because in the gospel, too, we should touch on this. The gospel is more than just a religion. The gospel is more, let's get more specific. It's not just Christianity. What are some specifics? Well, I, I mean, I think according to First Corinthians chapter 15, when you deal with the gospel, it has the fact that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. Uh, his death had to be a specific type death. Uh, it, it had to deal with uh, the Old Testament sacrifices and how all of this came to fruition. And the shedding of the blood. Exactly. It couldn't just be a, a murder in the sense of a gunshot victim or something like that. It had to have an intentionality to it. Secondly, in First Corinthians, is laid out that when you deal with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it deals with buried. Uh, you know, I think about uh, the sign of Jonah, three days in the belly of the well. That's an important consideration. Um, he had to literally be raised from the dead. I mean, that's the greatest demonstration of power was his resurrection. And then, of course, uh, subsequent to that or following that burial is the fact that he's risen from the dead. That's the, the gospel that we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about all the pseudo-gospels that are so prevalent today um, uh, of good works or religion or church or things. And those can be noble things, to be sure. We're talking about the gospel. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 gives a wonderful sense of hope. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's what happens at the moment in which an individual puts their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Speaking to that, let's look at where we find this, where we find the gospel. Where was it promised in the scriptures here? Well, I, you know, in Romans chapter 1, there's four aspects to look at as it pertains to the gospel. The first of those is given in verse number 2, and he says that it was promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel was something that was promised. It was not a last-minute thought, you know, to be kind of just put in there just because, no, there was some uh, intentionality to it. Uh, you think of a number of places in the Old Testament where God promised something concerning the Messiah, the Emmanuel that would come. You think of any? Well, how about we talk about the genealogy? Yeah, that's a great place. Matthew and Luke both have all of these genealogies that go back, uh, clear all the way back into in Adam's time. All of this leading up for the specific birth of Jesus Christ. Not that only, but we think of um, the fact even that John, just in chapter 1, of John declares him the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. I mean, he did. He didn't come to be a political leader. He knew exactly his purpose. It was laid out before the foundations of the world. Um, John fully saw this. He was 
the Messiah, the anointed one. You know, another thing I find this interesting is if you go back to just the Old Testament, some things that were put in place in in every Israelite or every Jew's life. And I think about one in the book of Ruth, we find the kinsman redeemer. We speak of Boaz and Ruth, but really what a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, yes, Absolutely. You, not not only just the kinsman redeemer, he's the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without spot or blemish. All of this is leading up to their consideration. Colossians calls it sh- uh, types and shadows. We have now the image of, G- of, of God, and that comes in Jesus Christ. But there were these prophets that verse number two speaks of that declared that with great promise. Now, I, I just, for time's sake, we'll, re- we'll limit this to kind of two, but... I think about the first mention of the coming of Jesus. And that would be in Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the woman shall come. He's going to bruise the head of the serpent. Um, that was the saving plan all the way in the Garden of Eden. It is prophesied that there would be a coming, to use your analogy, redeemer. And truly, a kinsman redeemer. The second one I would deal with, I, I think we'd be remiss to speak of Isaiah. I sometimes have referenced Isaiah as being the gospel of Isaiah. But in chapter 1, and verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And he mentions that comparison between crimson and white as snow. It's interesting. Another one I was thinking of, and it just comes out of the book of Jude, which we're familiar with here um, recently this year. And it said, uh, Enoch mm-hmm. prophesied of these things, saying, and he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ that was to come. Pre-flood, yes, absolutely. All of these were promised. So any uh, Old Testament believer looked forward to the cross of Calvary. Uh, They no doubt thought as we do, uh, maybe around the return of God, uh, the return of Jesus Christ, we would look at that and say, well, it's going to happen tomorrow. But, you know, a lot of lives, there was a lot of time frame that would occur, hundreds, thousands of years between the time of his initial promise and the time of the incarnation where he took upon human flesh. That's 4,000 years or so that would occur. It was promise. And one glorious truth revealed in Second Peter that God is not slack concerning his promises. His desires that pertain to the gospel, the prerequisite of our salvation, it's important to know that it was steadfastly promised. And then how he provides it to us yes. is through his son, Jesus Christ. It concerns his son. Verse number three speaks of it on this wise. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. It concerns his son. There is no gospel aside from Jesus Christ. You remember the 14th chapter of John. Um, It's just before the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, just before his suffering. In John chapter 14, he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. Yep. Uh, I and my Father are one. Over and again, these are steadfast that our salvation concerns Jesus Christ. The gospel, as we speak of in a biblical sense, the gospel of Jesus Christ has some exclusivity in it. It is exclusively found in that spotless lamb, and there's a good reason for that. There's only been one. Right. Um, I'm guilty. As a babe, I was guilty. I'm I'm a sinner. I, I can't provide the vicarious means of salvation for someone else. None of us can. No, it had to come through his son. The third aspect of the gospel that we would consider today is found in verse number four. 
declared to be the Son of God, and I want to just focus in on this word, with power. Um, My salvation needs some power to it. Sure does. It needs some strength. Uh, And only the Lord Jesus could do so in this verse. He talks about the resurrection from the dead. That was the greatest manifestation of the gospel. We think of the old hymn, Up from the Grave He Rose. He lives, he lives. All of this is showing forth that the gospel came and it was declared, it was promised in power, not only by those prophets before time, but also by the person of Jesus Christ. When you think of that power, um, you could perhaps think of his earthly ministry. What were some of the ways he demonstrated that power? Some of those through miracles. Oh my, yes. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. You want to talk about ending world hunger. Five loaves and two fishes fed over 5,000 people. Or how about when you raised Lazarus from the dead? I think that was perhaps, from the perspective of the unbelieving Jew, the, the high watermark to that time. I mean, he had previously raised the widow of Nain's son. Uh, no doubt some of them could say, well, you know, he wasn't really dead. Sure. It's just he had But just... Lazarus, he stank. <laughs> yes, three days in the grave. I, I mean, it was, it was concluded, the manifestation of great power. And, of course, as we look at, as we've mentioned already, being raised from the dead three days in the grave himself, that was the proof that he was victory over death, hell, and the grave. And that is for us a remarkable consideration, his glorious power as it pertains to the resurrection from the dead. And we're going to need that power as it, as it pertains to salvation because we need to be translated from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes. We need to be translated from being an enemy, Romans chapter 5, to being a son of God, whereby in chapter 7 or 8 we're crying, Abba, Father. We need a level of a powerful salvation because we're going to be taken from a sinner to a saint. And those are marvelous demonstrations, and they were all showcased in the power. And that's what he's mentioning here in Romans chapter 1. He's declared to be the Son of God with power, uh, even by the resurrection of the dead. There's a fourth aspect given in verse number 5, and I like this, and that is found where it reads, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. And that is this, that as it pertains to the gospel, that is God's instrument of salvation. There's no other way other than the gospel of Jesus Christ to receive him and have eternal salvation. And that, of course, as we're speaking today, is the prerequisite of joy. Um, He mentions here in this passage, obedience to faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 10. And thou shalt be saved. Yeah, but you remember later in that passage, here, I'll turn here just a moment. But in Romans chapter 10, the apostle by inspirations is quoting Isaiah. He says, but they have not all believed the gospel, or rather obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of of God. In the following verses, he talks about the sound going into all the word, world, even into the end of the world. And there's a couple of things to consider. Number, number one is the requirement that an individual accept the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. Uh, there's so many times 
that uh, people sit in, and we've already mentioned this a couple of times, but in a religious frame of mind and think that that's equivalent to salvation. That is not the same. Uh, They think that salvation comes by some good work that they have done. That is not what we're speaking of when we speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes by accepting him and his finished work. The second observation is this phrase where he says, to all nations. And that's, Romans, that's a wonderful phrase. In Romans chapter 10 in the, the passage, he says, unto uh, all the earth, I believe it is. Think about that consideration. Uh, Romans chapter 9 is going to talk about um, you, know, you know, the reference of the Jew and the Gentile. In chapter 1, he's going to talk about salvation came to the Jew first and also to, to the Greek. That's what allows us to sit here. We're talking about joy whose prerequisite is found in salvation, and praise the Lord, that he died on the cross not just singularly for the Jew to whom were his covenant people, but along down the path there would be me, be you, there'd be others, and they by faith would come to the same saving knowledge as the most virtuous Jew and old by faith to receive it. And so it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that instrument of salvation, that when believed by faith, produces joy so the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation is the prerequisite of joy. Let's go to our verse here as we conclude. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, mm. though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Greatly rejoicing at the power of his deliverance. A marvelous reason to rejoice. Until next time, we challenge you to continue rejoicing in the word. And we want to thank you for listening.